separate ways And me and my sister had to choose But mama saw in her Yo, hey, welcome to the Man-Child Podcast um, First episode since the world uh, went crazy and uh, we're all supposed to stay inside for an indefinite amount of time. It's nuts, okay? Let's just let's just address the animal. What is the animal? The elephant in the room. Uh, it's a, it's just a crazy, crazy, ridiculous time we're in. But it's okay. It's okay because we're going to be okay. It's not going to last forever. And I think a lot of the times our brains we just crave familiarity. And when you don't get familiarity, when you get uncertainty, when you get speculation, you trigger fear, you trigger all kinds of stuff. But let us be the group, the people, the tribe that does not subscribe to panic, to mayhem, all that sort of stuff. Enough about that. You're listening to this to escape from talking about all that. That's fine. And that's what it should be. All right, the Man Child Podcast is back. It's up. It's kicking. It's rocking. It's rolling. And uh, a couple announcements. What's going on at Man Child? First things first. T-shirt launch. Whole new line of gear, stuff, things, ideas put into artwork made by fabulous, fabulous artists like Rachel Sinclair. All right, like. Justin Carter down there at Unsung Salvage and Design in Hamiltucky, Ohio. Guys, every time you buy one of these shirts, uh, you're supporting a local business, a family that is kind of, they're carving out their dream. They're all working together. Husbands and wives there at Unsung, they do our printing. Uh, They do a lot of our design work. Rachel Sinclair, uh, she does her own, own thing. And, and we've, we've had a relationship with her over the last few months. She's made some killer, killer work. She's the one that made uh, the Circle the Wagons artwork, the new Less Honkin' More Tonkin', the No Deals, um, the Crying Cowboy, things like that. Justin made the original Man-Child uh, t-shirt and, and logo and font. Um, the, the Struggle Well by... Um, uh, what is it? Meg, Meg Braz Mann in Louisville, Kentucky. Just friends of ours, great people, great artists, talented folks, and you're 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 supporting all those people when you do this. We're not trying to just push more gear at you, Lord. You've got enough shirts, you've got enough clothes in your stupid closet. But what the the, the whole point was? Let's create some gear that serve as a banner or a flag for this set of ideals that we're uh, kind of commonly agreeing on that we say is important, that we say this is how we want to we want to stake our claim, this is our life, this is how we want to organize, this is how I want to map it out, this is how I want to construct it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not be afraid to struggle. And so there's my Struggle Well shirt. I don't make deals. I don't do things and, and take the easy way out. There's my No Deal shirt that's going to come out in the next couple months. All right, uh, we got got a new article up. New article up on the website. The two rivers, right? Everything you do comes out of two places: fear or love. Everything, all other emotions. That is mom and dad, 
all right, of all of your emotions, all the offsprings, anger and jealousy and pride that's coming from fear and humility and grace and forgiveness and empathy. That's all coming from love, right? Those two things, all right? Check that article out. As always, we're trying to grow this thing. Right, selfishly, yeah, because it's a it's a business, and I want it to grow. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna lie to you, right? But also because we're trying to grow this 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 idea, this family, this group of people that are in the in the the strugglers union. I just made that up. All right. So if you like something, share it. Don't be a ghost weirdo liker where I see you sometime, someday you and I will both be out of the house. We'll see each other and you'll be, Hey, I really like what you're doing with man child. Yeah. Well, you never liked anything. You know, give me a heart. I'm an affirmation guy. Give me a thumbs up. Give me a something. You know, if you like the podcast guys, go ahead and write us a review. I I'm, I'm learning this. If you do a review on the thing, it, it, it makes it pop up in front of more people's face. And I'm told that's a good thing. All right. Listen, don't let people pimp out your attention, by the way. Quick soapbox thing, right? Attention in our eyeballs is literally the last frontier of things that people are trying to grab from us. Make sure you're very, very, very economic with what you pay attention to. Because it'll it'll dictate the way you think. It'll dictate the way you see the world. All that stuff. All right? Now, let's get to this to today's guest. Shut up. What is that? Anyway, look, guys. Um... Clay Newcomb, all right, and it's it's we're just lucky, all right, blessed, whatever you want to call it, because the same time that we got a hold of Clay to do this podcast, First Light, if you've never heard of First Light, First Light is an apparel and equipment uh, gear company for um, hunting, all right, hunting. Fishing, if you've ever watched Meat Eater, Steven Ranella, if you ever watched all the Netflix shows, right? It's Primo Gear, all right? Really cool company out of Idaho. And uh, they did a film documenting, highlighting our guy, Clay Newcomb, our, our most recent guest on the Man Child Podcast. So really, really, really cool. Um, and, we're, and we'll post the link that you can check it out. It's called Nukem. It's a first light hunting film. It's done really, really well. Clay is an interesting dude. All right. And you'll get to hear all about it. But here's a guy from Southwest Arkansas. All right. That just decided he wanted to bear hunt and be really, really good at bear hunting and uh, just immersed himself in everything about it. Bought and took over a magazine, now is the editor, the creator, the brain behind Bear Hunting Magazine. And then here's, here's, here's where it gets strange, guys. All right, and it's really cool. You're going you're gonna to love to hear it. The man raises mules. He's a modern-day mule skinner, which I've just become familiar with that term. All right, and he raises mules. He goes and hunts these bears with the mules. It's it's psychotic, it's awesome. All right, and here's a guy that is he literally is fearless to try something that he has no idea, no business, nothing to do. I hope you take away. You are not disqualified from anything. You're not. All right. The only reason we call some some guy an expert and some guy an amateur is the expert locked his door and struggled and sucked at something way longer than you did. And he has earned 
a intellectual capital that you have not earned yet, right? And that's why, but for some reason, we love to just deem people as, oh, you're just more talented. Oh, you're just an artsy guy. Oh, you're just good with tools. You're good with your hands. I'm not. Well, he wasn't always. Yeah, we have certain bends towards things, right? But, uh, you know, I, 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 I really, you discredit the person that is shut up with the dings. I don't understand it. I don't have a studio, guys, all right? I, so I'm on the home front, all right? Things are going to ding, and I can't help you, okay? Anyway, all right, you discredit somebody that shows high, high performance or impressive art or, or something that, that, that grabs our attention when you just say, oh, you're just good at those things. Well, no, he worked his brains out for that, right? And here's a guy that's on that path, man, that's no stranger to struggle, no stranger to struggle. Clay Newcomb is, um, he's like, the, he's, he's one of those most interesting man type dudes, which we are very, very fortunate to bring characters like this to you. Clay Newcomb, all right, and his story and how he struggled and be, and is carving out this life he wants to live with him, with his family. Uh, just, just a humble, humble dude. A really, really cool guy. Was really gracious with his time. All right. So here it goes. Let's go. The Man Child Podcast starts now. What you know about me? What you know about child? All right, welcome back or welcome to the Man Child Podcast, the podcast exclusively dedicated to struggling on purpose to map out the life you want. Guys, this might be, and this is no knock on anybody else, all right, but this might be our most interesting guest yet, Clay Newcomb. Welcome to the Man Child Podcast. Hey, Luke. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right, Clay, people that don't know what you're all about and what you do and what's going on, tell me a little bit about yourself, your business, where you're at, and what you do. Yeah, so, yeah, my name's Clay Newcomb, and uh, I live in northwest Arkansas, and I, I've been married for almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years in November. How old are you? We have four... We have four children. What's that? How old are you? Be married I'm 20 40 years? years old. I'm 40 years old, okay, man. Okay, so you we got, got married, married at 20. We were young. I got married at 21. I, you know, I always, okay. get made, I always get made fun of that. So, you know, I'm old school <laughs> like that. Yes. Well, yeah, I was I was 21. My wife was 18 when we got married. And uh, we started having children relatively quickly. And uh, both of us went through college my wife by the time she graduated college we'd had four children and uh she's a brilliant woman she's uh about to get her phd but uh, anyway so i i'm i'm a father and husband but what i do for a living is uh i, I publish bear hunting magazine which bear hunting magazine is the only all bear hunting print magazine in the world and it's been in print for 20 years and i've had the business for seven years and so for the last seven years, uh, I, I bear hunted for a long time, 
but for the last seven years, I have bear hunted all over North America and, and really some of the best places in the world to hunt black bear and, and brown bear in Alaska. And, uh, and, and, you know, my business has afforded me the opportunity to travel and to hunt and to do some incredible stuff. And so, uh, yeah, that's what I do. So I'm a writer. Uh, I make films and videos. We, we do, do a lot of videography and, uh, yeah, I do a, just a lot of outdoor communication and stuff. All right. Let's dig into that because obviously that's not a normal gig. And how did you, one, decide, look, I'm going to run a magazine and I'm going to support my family with it. And I'm going to pitch this idea to my wife and everybody's going to be, okay. <laughs> how did, how did that happen? You know, it's a, it's a long story that, that was progressive. So it was, it was never just this like massive jump, even though there were many jumping points, you know, long story short, I, I, it all started when I killed my first bear in 2001. So almost 20 years ago, killed my first bear here in Arkansas. And that set me on a journey to learn all I could about bears became fascinated with black bears the, the culture the hunting culture of Arkansas was we really didn't have bear hunting in our in the culture because it's that's a long story too but nobody was bear hunting at that time not very many people and the the, the laws changed in Arkansas it liberalized the bear hunt just a little bit because of how well bear, bears were doing I killed a bear fascinated started learning about bears and i started an organization a, a hunting conservation organization for bears in arkansas in 2010 that was the entry point into kind of the bear world was i started this organization well when i started that organization we needed a publication and i had no credentials other than i'd written a few articles for some national magazines which is zero credentials and um uh, I, I i started i started a regional arkansas hunting magazine that was like the voice and face of our conservation organization and and that turned into me meeting um the the owner of bear hunting magazine which was based out of becker minnesota and we became friends and long story short, in 2013, he was he, he was looking to, to get out of his business, and uh, it just worked out. Uh, I ended up with Bear Hunting Magazine. So all that time, I had I had gone to college and had a degree in environmental soil and water science, and I was actually landscaping. I had a landscape company in Northwest Arkansas, and so I mean I wasn't really using my degree. And, uh, but I had the landscape company so that I could be my own boss so that I could hunt and so that I could operate this organization that I was running on the side. And anyway, when the opportunity came up to, to take on bear hunting magazine, it, it, that was a leap of faith for sure. Yeah. But, uh, but I did it and, uh, that was seven years ago. So, so how uh, did you get the, how did you get, what's the, like, the confidence that people you know you said zero credentials it's not like oh i've i'm a best-selling author about bears like 
you killed a bear, got really curious about bears, started an organization dedicated to conserving this kind of lifestyle and this species and this kind of hunting. And then you're like, uh, yeah, you go from landscaper to publisher, editor, writer, creator, director, like there's something fascinating there about not asking for permission or thinking you're qualified <laughs> yeah, or not qualified yeah. there. Yeah. No, I like the way you say that, Luke. And, and you know, I don't usually think about it that way, but you know, if you have nothing to lose, then you don't have a lot to be afraid of. And I think that idea of having nothing to lose doesn't mean that you're poor financially. But it means that, I mean, when I started the this organization and we started that first publication, I mean, I, I just kind of wasn't afraid to fail, you know, just like, man, we're going to do this. Why not? I, and I felt like it was the right thing to do. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, it's no secret that I'm a man of faith. I, I really am. And I mean, I, I feel like every step of my life has been has has been scripted in a way for me and it's been uh you know it's not just been blind movement you know and uh, and i felt like it was the right thing to do my wife felt like it was the right thing to do um she you know we we have a pretty scripted and philosophical way that we move inside of life and it and it is built around unity between the two of us you know and so everything i've ever done she was a hundred percent behind it and uh, and likewise with her, everything she's done, uh, you know, it's been like, yeah, I, I think this is the right way. And uh, and so but it does take it does take, you know, you do have to overcome fear. And, and I think um, probably a theme inside of my life that you might not see if you just looked at my Instagram page or something. But but a theme has been overcoming fear. And, uh, and I think that, uh, you know, fear of financial failure or, or fear of social failure because something that you did didn't work. Yeah. You know, I mean, you just kind of got to take that stuff right in the face, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, when you make something and put it out there, everybody is now in position to hurt you. <laughs> like they, yeah. they can say yeah. something hurtful about it they can critique it they can and you just have yeah. to you got to figure out a way within yourself to just put that a, and get over yourself really yeah it's yeah it's all right so why bears i've never Man. i've never bear hunted it seems like if you're thinking of like what's the manliest thing you can go play out in the yard, my seven year old would be he'd grab his coonskin cap and he, you know Davy Crockett and let's go bear hunting. I know, but like <laughs> you know why this this why the bear? You know it was a it was a series of incredible things happening all at once that led me to the place that I have. Number one, and I, I think this is a massive testament to the North American model of wildlife conservation is that we live in a time when black bears are thriving. And let's Why? say 50, 60 thriving? years ago, man, whatever's happening ecologically in North America, in places where we have good habitat, historical habitat for bears, bear populations are thriving. I mean, it, it's almost like, and some of that is a, 
maybe a little bit of a mystery. Uh, and it's not totally a mystery without, you know, turning, you know, talking about it for an hour, but habitat wise, like for instance, here in Arkansas, like let's say in 1920, let's go back a hundred years, landscape level logging, everything was made of wood. There were no regulations on cutting. The, the forestry practices were just, you know, slash and burn. I mean, right. so basically there was no habitat. Well, when the forest service was enacted in the early 1900s and you know there was less demand for wood for every single thing that humans built well there the force grew back and right now we're living inside of a time at least in national forest in arkansas and a lot of private land where there's these mature forests that are being selectively harvested at different times and basically that's beneficial for black bear along with other critters like white-tailed deer same story with white-tailed deer um Okay. So anyway, it's the it's the it's the it's the underside of you know everybody kick plastic and this is you know we we're we're gonna ruin our planet but then there's making less things out of wood this is the other side of that story <laughs> you know that's a simple version that's a simple version yeah I guess so obviously uh, but you know so to go back to the idea that whatever's happening ecologically has been really beneficial for bears you know the question was why bears you know. I, because of that coming back of bears, um, you know, I killed a bear and I was amazed at the lack of appreciation for it and general hunting culture when I killed this bear. I mean, it was almost like I killed a feral hog. That's what it felt like. I mean, just kind of like, ah, everybody just kind of shrugged their shoulders at it. Yeah. Yeah, really. And, and then I was like, wait a minute, this is an incredible animal right and uh and then I, the more research i did i i was almost upset at my uh well at the at, at the hunting culture i grew up in because why didn't they tell us about the incredible history that we have with bears and i'm talking about specifically here in arkansas but this could be replicated anywhere i know the story here in arkansas really well but i mean Man, there was got the you know the bear hunters of the 1800s were the sports stars of their era. You know they were right. they were they were market hunters. They were they were the heroes. They were the Daniel Boons. They were the guys that came back with these incredible stories and and were you know viewed as as noble men because of you know these right. feats of courage. You know and so. And, and then there's a financial side to it. These guys were making a living doing it. There was, there's a town in Arkansas called oil trough that has to do with making bear oil. Um, and anyway, they're just, nobody knew that stuff and nobody was talking about it. Why? And why, why did it lose its luster? Why was it, why did it become? Well, I'll tell you why. Cause the bears, the, they, they killed all the bears out. Well, so <laughs> Basically in Arkansas, in Arkansas, by 1930, Luke, there were essentially no bears left in Arkansas except for a remnant population of about 50 bears. So bears were extirpated. Extirpated means local extinction out of the Ozarks and Washita Mountains. And and so for for basically 70 years, a generation there were basically no bears to hunt. So the hunting culture died 
the bear hunting culture died. And then in 1980, they reinstituted a bear season in Arkansas. And then in 2001, they liberalized the season even a little bit more. And it kind of opened up the floodgates for Arkansas hunters. And that's where I came in. And I, I, I killed a bear on the first day of these, of, 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 uh, of the 2001 season. And since that time, the last 20 years, the bear hunting culture has just come alive and guys are bear hunters again. And we're starting to, you know, stir the pot and look back on our history. And I mean, there's some fascinating stuff. 20 miles from where I'm standing right now, there was a guy in 18, in the 1840s named Erskine that was killed by a bear and buried in a shallow grave out in the Hurricane Creek drainage by Native Americans. Um, he, his dogs bait a bear and he went in and tried to kill the bear with a bowie knife and the bear broke his neck uh that story is is chronicled in a, in a book called wild sports by frederick gerstocker and like nobody ever told me that they ought to they ought to be telling those stories and uh that's like the coolest story it, in your town nobody's talking about yeah yeah exactly nobody knows about it yeah Amazing. yeah all right so how do you okay I'm always fascinated with like, I remember in the nineties, like the X games were big. Right. And the guy would do yeah. like three backflips and land on his skateboard. And I'm like, sure. But how do he do that the first time? How did he, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, so how do you kill a bear? The first, like, how'd you do it the first time? It's after that, you get all kinds of feedback. All right. Bears like this. They don't like this. That was dumb. We shouldn't do that. Yeah. But the first time, what'd you just go out in the woods? How'd you do it? Well, now, okay, now that's why I keep going back to this, uh, you know, change in regulations. It was the first year in Arkansas that they decided that they needed to to manage the bear population to the correct number that they needed. They they need to needed to allow hunters to use bait on private land. So that's that's how the first year is we we were baiting bears. It was the first time we'd ever done that. It was the first time it was legal, and. Uh, and so it's a it's a pretty complicated process, um, and we. Yeah, what is the, uh, bear bait? Kind of, I mean, deer you throw corn down. What do you do for bears? Yeah, you know, bear will eat anything that'll make a human fat. Um, you know, we use a lot of corn, grease, dog food, donuts, bread, stuff like that. And uh, you know, the, the 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 beautiful thing about baiting bears is that. You get to be very selective about the animal that you harvest and you're able to, uh, by selective, I mean that you, you can pass juveniles and females and target older mature males much easier. There's a lot of real strong ethical benefits to baiting that people on the cuff don't understand. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we just learned by trial and error. Now there's so much information about bear hunting. I mean, to, to have the knowledge is kind of like not the limiting factor anymore. Um, like, you know, mm. we, I spend, you know, our, my professional life trans, you know, talking about how to, how to bait bears, how to hunt bears, spot and stalk in national forests without bait, you know, using yeah. hounds for, uh, I'm for curious, bears. is there a whole, uh, you know, saltwater fishing has this this split, right? Where it's like 
guys that use bait and then there's the fly fishing purists and you the you know the the is there a whole argument there with fair chase and all of that because you're you're coming out from a different flank of the argument to where no 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 we get to be more selective we can be we can actually yeah with, with the, is there is there are there the bait haters and all that and you're cheating in this you know there is and and that gap is closing right now and and, and you know right now more than ever it's important for hunters to be unified and um, the thing is is that people that don't have to bait to kill bears because of where they live like for instance out west like uh, right. out west where you can spot and stalk bears and you can sit on a mountaintop and see two and a half miles in every direction. You can spot a bear and go stalk that bear and be really successful. Usually it's the people, you know, it's just lack of knowledge, ignorance that makes people go, man, guys that hunt over bait are fat and lazy. And it's like, well, come to Arkansas and kill one spot and stalk. Yeah. Um, yep. And then it goes even a layer deeper into the management and science is that for the habitat we have, we have to take out a certain number of bears per year for for the the betterment of the population of bears. You know, I mean, if a, the way I like to describe it is if uh, if you've got a section of ground and ten bears can live in there and be perfectly healthy and thrive, well, if there's fifteen bears in there, all those bears' health is going to be compromised. You may not see that, but it is. Just like if you had 10 people in your house and really it was supposed to have six, you said, you know, there's going to be stress on that population. And with bears, a large carnivore, when you have these dense populations in this good habitat, they expand. So you get bears in people's yards, you get bears living in, living in, uh, living in, uh, different places that they, they, you know, can't be in a civilized place. In the civilized world, right? Yeah, not and so. so uh, not good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, we're we're part of our mission is to unify the narrative inside of bear hunting because bear hunting is a hot button for the anti hunting community, and that's kind of a big part of what I feel like I do inside of media is um, is we're trying to unify the voice inside of bear hunting. Um, and, and talk about the positive attributes of the different management tools that we have inside of hunting. Yeah. You, you have, oh gosh, there's, there's some, there's a whole bunch of things I want to talk about, but let's start with this. Let's, let's go to the, the sort of career side of this. So like you are, you're moving and shaking and, and making content for this magazine, by the way, guys, uh, we're all in, in our houses right now. We're not supposed to go anywhere, obviously. Or you can go out in the woods, which is great as long as you're away from people. But watch uh, Bear Hunting Magazine's YouTube channel and Clay Newcomb's uh, YouTube channel. What is it called? How do we search it? It's Bear Hunting Magazine. Bear yeah. Hunting Magazine. Yeah, that, there is some fascinating stuff, right? But what I think, and from my own adventures and amateurism, when you go out and you think, well, I'll just go and I'll hunt or I'll go fish and I'll bring a camera. No, no, sir. Way harder than that. How did you learn how to do the creative side of it? Man, that's a good question. Not many people ask that one. Um, you know, it was trial by fire and I, and I, I had no choice but to, to learn it. 
you know, people are so limited by number one, their ability, their perception of their ability to learn something new and their why do you think that is? People. Why do you think that? Because I, I, I 1,000% agree that that is the Achilles heel to the human condition. Yeah. Is we just deem ourselves. Well, my second bad. point, Luke, and, and not to be critical, but pointing this right back at myself, is that I, I think we're a little bit lazy. No doubt. You know? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think sometimes people know they probably could, but they just don't, you know. Um, and, and the good thing about putting yourself in the fire inside of your life is that it pushes that laziness out and you have no choice, but to learn you and back, you know, back so yourself it, into a corner on purpose is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. The man, that that's the only way I've ever learned anything. Same here. And, and it's by choice. And I think it's a discipline inside of life to choose to do that. And I, I did that with my with my mules, which we'll talk about, I think. Yes. And I did that with video editing because here's what happened is to had this magazine and and I knew we had to have a video component to, to just make the business work. You know, I mean, yeah, I got the business. It was just a magazine and a website. I knew that we had to have some video. And so the first year I actually hired a professional video editor to edit video for me. Now we, we filmed in the field, and uh, and that you just kind of have to learn. I mean, you just watch the guys that are good and replicate what they do. Yeah. You know, now, I like, mean, like, how'd you decide? Did you have a, a photography background? How do you even know what camera to go get? Because like, well, that's trial and error too. You know, I, my my uncle is a professional still photographer, and so he he tutored me quite a bit in just the aesthetics of photography which I think a lot of that transfers into videography, No doubt. you know, just framing up a shot and, um, and the colors and the lighting and the, you know, all the different things that go into it. And, uh, so I, I had that coming into it, but man, I just bought, I mean, I just did, you know, two hours worth of research and bought a camera, That's started awesome. filming, you know? Yeah. There's and, a, and, there's a particular film you made, up in Saskatchewan where the the bear literally comes and, and you hit the bear on the nose with the end of your arrow while it's still on your bow, and it's just incredible. Like, just getting that kind of footage. The, you, you've got to realize, like, there's certain moments when you're like, you know, you're 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 already nervous. Am I am I even going to get any good content out of this? And then something like that happens. And you're like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was kind of a that was an incredible moment that I was very happy that we captured on film. That was my buddy Brent Reeves that was filming for me on that hunt. Um, yeah, well, so we filmed, and then I had I hired a guy to edit a whole year of footage and basically we made like eight episodes put it 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 was our you know it was the bear hunting magazine show which we called bear horizon and it was really great it was good super professional looked good well the next year i couldn't afford to pay him um you know in life you think if you do something good you're rewarded with uh the finances to keep doing it well it didn't work no you know it, it just uh I just didn't have, it's like, man, I cannot afford to do that again. And right. so 
which is just, I, there's I, there's layers to a whole bunch of the stuff. Why isn't it working? What am I doing wrong? Why don't people care? We work so hard on this. It's awesome. I know it's awesome. Maybe it's not awesome. Maybe we suck at this. And there's so many. And then you kind of psych yourself out. There's a lot. Because I'm, I'm talking from experience. When you put something yeah. out there and you're like, people will love this. And then crickets, right? And then yeah. you're like, yeah. and then it gets worse. Man, like I, I completely relate well, to And that. that's where you have to have a direction and stick with it long term. Like, like it, it wasn't necessarily the lack of response that, made me not be able to afford to hire the guy. It was just, it was just, I mean, it, it was never really designed to create income like these videos. Right. Uh, you know, they were supplementary to the magazine, but I just knew we were supposed to do it, knew we needed to do it. And so I came into that season two and I just said, I'm going to have to edit these videos and they've got to look as good as his or, you know, it can't be like, super professional and then totally amateur and so i just i got adobe adobe premiere pro yep which and and the best thing i ever did 10 years ago was uh learn the adobe products and uh knew nothing and just started started watching youtube videos just fundamental this is the thing people the, the way like people all the time like how did you uh i've had guys want to like come and you know friends of mine like want me to teach them how to edit video and i'm just like man i can't teach you how to edit video yeah you you've got to if if you can't take the first steps with all the knowledge base that's out there i'm not going to be able to teach you anything um, which like, go, which goes back to the the human laziness thing. It's just says somebody somebody just do this for me because, but you, you, the reason you know how to edit is because you sat down in front of it and just struggled with it. Yeah, amazing. struggled, struggled big time. Yeah, big time. And finally, after uh, I guess I've been editing video now for five years, I, I feel pretty good about my competency in video production and you know it's just i i, I continue to want to get better i really do I, I love video that there's an artistic creative side of it that i love and uh storytelling and and all that and so i want to keep getting better but but i feel like i'm proficient for the, the space that we're in you know speaking uh, of video you are partnered up with first light the the apparel and outdoor and hunting equipment company uh which you know i'm i would love to have their whole line but i i'd have to take out a loan but it's uh it's incredible gear you got hooked up with them and they have a film about you and what you're doing coming out tomorrow correct yeah april 1st april 1st um yeah, on the First Light YouTube channel, you can uh, – yeah, they made a film. They made a film. It's called Nukem, and uh, it's about 11 minutes long, and it's uh, – yeah, I, I may be biased, Luke. I don't know, but I, I think it's pretty cool. Well, I watched the previews <laughs> of it, and I can't wait. I, you know, I, I kind of nerd out for things like this, drive my wife crazy. I'll just, you know, pour through the entire – yeti catalog on youtube and then i'll go to first light and then i'll go to meat eater and then i'll go to you know bad fish or whatever but this this thing looks 
particularly interesting because you have a particularly interesting thing going on with mules. What is going on with the mules? <laughs> well, you know, I live in a good part of the world to be a, a mule man. Um, there's Arkansas and the Ozarks and, and Southern Missouri and parts of Tennessee, even into Kentucky. I mean, like this, this part of the world is kind of a hot spot for mule training. And uh, that being said, there are very few people actually doing it because there aren't a lot of mules. I mean, there's for probably every hundred horses, there's probably 10 mules, you know? Okay. I mean, where, just, I mean, where'd this come from? Why, why mules? How'd you get into, how'd you get into mules? What's up? With yeah. That? Well, mules are, mules are the hybrid cross. First of all, between a donkey and a horse, male donkey, female horse. Right. And, uh, you have to know that produce, first folks. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And, 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 What's produced when you cross these animals is what they call hybrid vigor, which hybrid vigor means the 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 combination of these two animals creates something that's even stronger and better than the original two parents. So the the best traits of the donkey and the best traits of the horse. That's what they call. They called me that in high school. Hybrid vigor. <laughs> OHV. Yeah, that's my that was the name of my acapella group in college. <laughs> Hybrid figure. That would be good. That's a good band name. Stupid. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. All right, keep going. <laughs> sorry. No, I just I've always been fascinated with mules, and uh, and culturally have been familiar with them, but never owned a mule before. And you know, I just kind of came to the place in my life where we we had a place to. I mean, some of it was functional. I had a place to keep mules. Um, I had the, the, I felt like I had the, the, the time and energy to devote to them, which at other times I didn't, you know, my kids were, are now a little bit older. And, um, and I, I, I think probably five years ago, I got my first mule, which was a green broke mule, which me, and and that's not on the video, but I had some bad experiences with a green broke mule, which what does that green mean? broke basically means half trained basically means you're buying somebody else's train wreck and basically means that you're in for trouble. That's what I've decided because you're, you're taking on somebody else's failed project. There's a and line I, in that film. I saw in the preview that says a mule will wait its whole life to kick you. I, I, I might have yeah. butchered, butchered that line, but yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's what an old man told me. And, he said a, a mule will wait his whole life to kick you. And so just because he hadn't kicked you yet, then he's not going to kick you today. Um, so, but, so I had a bad experience with a green broke mule. Um, <laughs> Which is then, just so, a cool thing to say. It's just, it's, <laughs> hey man, <laughs> listen, I had a bad experience with a green broke mule. I don't mess with anything. <laughs> that's just, that's I mean, just none of that was all captured right on there. video, but what happened was, that, I mean, three times I, I got, I got bucked off once, uh, and and even scarier than getting bucked off, way scared getting bucked off is having one run off with you, like just like take off like and a just run away out of mule. Yeah, but you're on its back. I mean, just totally out of control, just streak, run through woods, run. You know? Are they fast? Oh yeah, they can run like a racehorse, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that, so, that's that hybrid vigor the hybrid vigor brother yeah man well so that's what made me want to get a totally untouched mule 
like I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to take on somebody else's project. I'm going to start from scratch, which comes with its own risk. Uh, and yeah. uh, so if, if, so I wanted to know everything that had happened to this mule in his life. And that's when you buy somebody else's project, you don't know what they did to it. And mules are quirky as they can be. Uh, so, you know, like that guy that trained it before may have been riding on a bridge and a German shepherd came and chased it from the house across the bridge. And then for the rest of that mule's life, he won't cross a bridge. Uh, he's got bridge, he's got be, mule PTSD. Absolutely. They're, they're super quirky, but that is in the end what makes a mule an incredible animal because they're very self-protective. So I've it, never it, met a guy who has mules or raised. I remember going out West and we went on like a, like a wagon kind of, you know, dinner ride or whatever. And the guy was, he was leading the wagon with mules and everybody that has mules loves mules. They swear by mules. Yeah. They're like mule. What, what is that? What, what is the deal with every, people just fall in love with these animals? Well, people either love them or hate them. Um, and a lot of horse people don't like mules. Yeah, sworn uh, a horse, a horse is uh, much easier to train. They're much more biddable or trainable. They're much more compliant. Um, Such as the term but, stubborn as a mule. Exactly. But here, here's the catch. And, and this is a phrase that's said, okay, in the, in the equine training world, is that you could train a horse to run off a cliff. You would never train a mule to run off a cliff because he's way too self-protective. So if you're a rider and you're entrusting your life in wild places on the back of an equine animal, do you want an animal that would literally jump over a cliff because you told it to? Or do you want an animal that is self-protective and is never going to do anything that hurts himself? This is the reason they ride them down the Grand Canyon. That's right. That's the reason they don't take horses down the Grand Canyon. And and I'm not dogging horses. They have some incredible horses. I, I don't want to horse bashing like episode. I hate horses. No. <laughs> no. Some people, you know, people get like that with anything, any any sector of life. You know, it's like, well, I like Camaros. I like Corvettes. You know, it's, <laughs> right. it's kind of that argument. But yeah. I like mules. And it, it, I think it takes a certain mentality to deal with a mule. I mean, you have to overcome a lot of a lot of frustration to be able to train one they're 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 the hardest equine animal to train and uh but man once you get one trained they're incredible incredible be so i got an untrained mule and trained it and that's what the film talks about and and, you, and i've never trained you, anything you, clay there's some fantastically weird traits that keep coming through here that is just beautiful I have never run a magazine. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy and overtake overrun. I've never edited film. I'm gonna edit all this film. I've never killed a bear. I'm gonna kill a bear, and I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna find everything out there is to know about a bear, and I'm gonna start a conservation group dedicated to bears. I hey mules seem interesting. Let's go all in on. I've never trained anything. I've never trained a dog. I'm gonna train a mule. You basically are fearless, and that's why you are able to construct this life that you have right now that people reach out, like myself, and they want to get your take on things because you just don't seem to think you're disqualified from anything. 
Well, that's. And I you know, know you're, you're probably too humble. You're probably like too that. humble to putting to, those two, those th- all those things together. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. You know, you just. I don't know. I don't know. That's a. That, I'm serious. I've I've never I've never really thought about the connection point between all those different things kind of being a similar driver. You know. Right, but uh, I mean, there's but, it's but it's just right. what you what you're doing is I I'm a I got really into and I and we have these ongoing conversations with Angela Duckworth. She wrote this book called Grit. And it's a deep dive into like human performance and talent and all this sort of stuff. And one of the biggest things about talent that we all want to believe in is that God sprinkled, you know, can do or know how dust on this guy. And that's why he's really good at that thing. But I didn't get that. And that is my built in excuse to why I shouldn't have to try. Because in this inherent belief that if it's hard, I must not be very good at it and you are just down with the struggle and you're like yeah it's going to be miserably hard and then it's going to be awesome and so you upset the guy that's just like sitting at red lobster and just being like that guy's crazy man like you know and because what we're constantly trying to do is justify our behavior of not wanting to try and put ourselves out there and fail and when we could be having these lives of, and you and I both know it, he didn't come to give you life. He came to give you life more abundantly. And I think that that means firing on all cylinders, our brain, yeah. our family, our, our, our interests, our pursuits, the way we enjoy those moments between moments. And, and you're doing it, you're doing it because you just immerse yourself in it. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> So, I appreciate it. So you're hunting on these mules. Yes, that's that was the motivation. 100% motivation was to use them as uh, wilderness transportation. Okay. Yep. How did you, did you see this done before? Did you like did you something you conjured up? I'm going to go hunt bears on mules. Like Well, I grew up, so we didn't have horses or anything growing up, but, but I grew up around them, just in, in rural Arkansas. One of my best friends in, in elementary school and high school had a bunch of horses, and, and we used to ride, not a lot. I, I mean, I can't say that I'd ridden a lot, really, but, you know, I was familiar with them. And then I was familiar with the, with, you know, the guys out west using mules for hunting, and, and there were a few guys here in Arkansas that were using mules for hunting the Ozarks and Washita's, but very few. I mean, I, uh, I knew just a few guys there where I grew up that, you know, say, Oh, he hunts off mules up in the mountains. And I think my dad, probably when I was a kid, my dad was kind of a connoisseur of rural culture in the midst of being a professional businessman. So he kind of lived this like dual life. And so I think he really, he didn't do it intentionally, but you know where he assigned value, I assigned even more value, and so I, I think that's probably where it came from. Is is talking about this one particular family that used to hunt off mules in the Washtals, and I was like, that is cool, and uh, that just always stuck with me. And then I don't, I guess I was thirty five when I got my first mule. I think I was thirty five years old, and uh, and 
you know, I, I guess I was forecasting into the future too, Luke. Like my passion is going into wild places and you, you just can't do that your whole life. You know, you just, you know, there's this peak that we have from about age 20 to about age 65, 60, right. where you get to really expend yourself. And obviously the latter side of that is much decreased from the earlier side. And, uh, you know, I figured I needed to develop a craft that could extend extend my my reach into wild places. And uh, I wanted to, and, and I knew that, and, and now that I'm into it, I realize that is a little bit of a, not entirely true because you got to be pretty darn wiry to just ride a mule or a horse, either one. And most guys can do it until they're in their late 60s. Um, but anyway, that it was kind of my idea. So, I mean, you got, you can see it guys on his, on his YouTube and you can see it on some of the films coming out. Uh, the, uh, you're literally firing firearms off the backs of these things and they're sitting there. I mean, it looks like I'm watching Jeremiah Johnson, the way you've trained these things. So you've gone from, I've never trained a mule to like, you are grizzly adams with these things like it's 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 and and it's just it's so it's almost hilarious to me how because that's what that's what's available right this is just an extremely specific example is you can go from the the most novice ignorant person to a subject to someone making a film about it about how expert you are at it and this was, you know, when did you buy, when did you get a mule and decide to train it? How long ago? Well, I, I think it was five years ago. Okay, so five in, years in, ago, in five years time, someone's making a documentary about it. There's something, there's something that can be had. I don't care if you're listening to this podcast and you don't even, you don't even like hunting. That's not the point that I'm trying to make to people. What I'm trying to say is, right. whatever is you can't stop thinking about, there's a reason that that's on your heart. And if you're willing to go all in on it, you can do some really incredible things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I do reflect on what particularly the mule training did for me, Luke, kind of as an in, in an internal position, is that, and I think inside of the trend inside of life, is that when you find success and not success, people hear success and they think money. That's not at all what I'm talking about. When you find, but I'm going to use that term, when you find success in something and you really evaluate where you started and where you got there, that muscle that you used can be taken into any other part of your life. Yes. You know, so, so like, the mule training thing, it, it really did. It, it, it has increased my confidence, not in myself. Cause I don't, I really, I don't, I don't view it like a, I, I just don't view it as like, I'm really good at that now. Um, I view it like you did. It's just like, man, you can pretty much do whatever you set your heart to do that you, that is inside the wheelhouse of your life. And I, and I want to make that clear. I had, Everybody has dealt some hand inside of life. Right. And I was dealt a hand that 
I had the time and the place to do mules and, and I, and I had, uh, you know, I just had this palette before me of hunting that I was able to really deep dive into from a craft perspective. Um, you know, not everybody has that. So you can't compare yourself to someone. I mean, there, there are no apples to apples when it comes to human comparison. And I think that's where a lot of people get intimidated or get discouraged is they look at some guy on Instagram and they're like, man, I want to be like that guy. Well, you're probably not supposed to be like that guy. You're supposed to be who you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in who you are, you know, you could do stuff that would blow my mind, you know, with the dedication and discipline. And I think that's the muscle that we've got to have is movement away from fear and movement to taking a calculated risk that is favorable and beneficial and then, and, and, uh, you know, just, just taking a chance and not being afraid to fail and learning. And, you know, the beautiful thing is that my kids have been actively, actively involved in all this inside my life. I mean, yeah. and, and I've yet to see the full repercussions of that, right. but like the way that, and man, I'm sitting here talking to you on this podcast got to be talking to my wife she she's way cooler than me um and all the things she's done she's done a school a, a private school she's um i mean really her life what's she getting her phd in? her phd is in uh dog gone and i knew you were gonna ask me that oh no uh, got you, in trouble, you nailed me you nailed me um that's okay we'll edit this uh, out I don't edit it out it doesn't matter no I just can't think of the terminology. It's not political science, um, but uh, but but that's the that's the leaning. It's something really specific inside of political science. But um, and uh, she's she's very involved with uh, legislation as it relates to schools and education. So, uh, but uh, but anyway, you know, she's uh, we just take that muscle and apply it in different places in life. Your kids see kind of the way, you know, your kids, you can teach your kids all kind of stuff, but teaching your kids all kind of stuff is not nearly as important as who you are because your kids really become a replication, good and bad, of who you are. Oh, not, Lord. yeah, it's scary. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and it is, it, it is scary. It can be, but in the right, in the, in the right places, yes. but that's where you talk to your kids about your weakness i mean i do i mean i'm like kids i have not always handled you guys the best way you know i think it's important for kids to see humility i think but and i think it's important for kids to be a part of a lot of the life choices that parents make you know um and it just trains them trains them how to think trains them how to navigate difficulty and struggle and crisis but also see success and um my son is actually about to train his first mule. My 14-year-old son. He's uh he's he's we've got a young mule that he's going to train from scratch. So wow. And there yeah. there's there is such a um education and intelligence socially and just solving problems that you're exposing your kids to right now like we we're really good there's a, actually a really famous TED talk about how, you know, formalized education crushes creativity. 
right? Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of education was, and because and this is kind of my deal, is teaching and, and coaching and that sort of thing. So I, the history of education in public forms was to dump people into the industrialization age, right? To where you can listen, you can follow directions, you can hear things, and you can apply them, right? And, yeah. and so everything was about getting on the assembly line. And all funding was coming from people that needed more people on the assembly line. And so now we're in an era where we need creativity and we are not facilitating kids with the types of, of challenges that force them to be creative, right? But yeah, yeah. Because everything is just, there's an answer. It's A, B, C, D, right? It's true or it's false. It's a math problem with an exact answer. Whereas now you throw a kid, and, and, and that's why I'm obsessed with making my kids be outside because, hey, uh, it's going to rain and you didn't plan for it and now you're soaking wet and there's nothing you can do about it because you didn't figure out how to plan ahead of that. There's It's hot now. It's that fish isn't biting now. Why isn't it? What can we do there? Like you exposing your kid to this mule and this training process, like there's no simple answer. And so he's going to yeah. have to figure out exactly what works in that sector for that mule at that time, at that day, that yes. constantly our own sources and systems of education are failing kids. And I think that that's going to be really an incredible experience for your kids. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I just think it's, I just think it's, it's really awesome. So how'd you get hooked up with the uh, first light guys? You know, years ago, five, six years ago, I, let me think about that. No, I, you know, I had acquired bear hunting magazine and, you know, we were looking for partners and whatnot. And, um, a friend of mine was wearing first light and had for a long time. And he was just like, Clay, you got to hook up with these guys at first light. And, uh, I said, okay. And, and I knew that that wouldn't mean they would, you know, be paying us money. I just, I, this industry, people have a false perception of how things work. You don't have a magazine and just like go to somebody and they just pour money into your bank account. Usually, <laughs> uh, you know, I had to build, relationship with them for for years before it became a, like a formal partnership if i could say it that way right um and uh, no they, i just liked the, what they stood for i like the i like the clothing uh, I, I i love merino wool merino wool is like a miracle fabric yeah what is that for people that don't know what that is yeah so merino wool is a, is a type of wool so there is a merino sheep you know that produces merino wool and um, those sheep are down in New Zealand, and their wool is designed for hot and cold. So there's places where these sheep are where it may be super cold at night and super hot the next day. And so the wool has to be able to uh, wick away moisture and keep the sheep warm if it's raining and cold, and then the next day be able to breathe and wick and keep the keep the sheep from overheating so it's just it's it really is kind of a miracle fabric and basically they make base layer clothing out of that Interesting. along with lots of other 
I mean, they make all kind of non-merino stuff, but that's kind of where First Light got its start was with merino wool. Right. Yeah. They were the first ones that skiers and some of the, uh, yeah, the, the ski industry and, and like backpacking and all that, that industry was, was using merino wool. First Light was the first guys to put camo patterns on merino wool. <laughs> gotcha. So, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the the bear hunting is probably one of the few North American species that can hunt you back. So, have you had any close calls? You had any skirmishes with a bear attack with uh, anything like that? I can't ever say that I've been uh, attacked by a bear. Um, now, see that that one video, and so I would say I bear attacked. It came, it came close enough. It touched me. Yes, I've been approached by a bear. That's what I would say. Yeah, yeah. You're not counting it as that, so you're tougher than I am. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've definitely had some close calls with bears, but nothing super hairy, I mean, in my opinion. Now, that one video, like, yeah, that bear was – there's a lot of interpretations of that video. Some people thought he was being aggressive. I felt like he was being more curious than anything. Uh, but um, that was the closest thing. I mean, yeah, that bear came in knowing I was there, got within two feet of me probably. I jumped, kind of scuttled back. The bear touched the end of my arrow, and he kind of reared up on his hind legs. I mean, that was the only time I've actually thought I am about to be attacked by a bear. I did feel that. I, I thought, okay, this is what it feels like right before you get pummeled by a bear. I didn't think it would kill me. I mean, like I really have never feared for my life with a bear. Um, I, I, I thought he probably would slap me. Like that's kind of what I thought was about to happen. And it didn't. Um, um, probably the most spooked I've been by a bear has been brown bear hunting in Alaska. Um, because, you know, brown bear and black bear are totally different. Grizzly bear, you know, the, uh, the brown bear they will they will kill you and eat you um they are an aggressive bear that uh, there's a fair chance they're like the great white shark of bears yeah for sure okay. i mean like so if you're i mean they are very much more likely to attack you and you know a few times in alaska there wasn't even a bear around but we were just in really compromising situations that i was like if there is a bear right here we're about to get pummeled, uh, you know, walking through these bear trails and alders with real fresh bear sign everywhere. And, you know, just being in a super close quarters or on a bear trail going around these corners. And I left my pistol in the, in the, in the boat. That was one time when I thought, man, I do not like this. No. Uh, very rarely has that happened in my life. <laughs> You're a big, uh, traditional bow hunter. Yeah, yeah. How'd that come about? You know, my dad was a bow hunter. His, you know, most of his, you know, his adult life, he's been a bow hunter. He was a compound bow hunter. And uh, so I grew up shooting compound bows. And when I became an adult, I just was started following some of these traditional bow hunters. And I was just like, man, these guys are doing it the right way. And, and, and not the right way like there's a wrong way, but just, I liked the idea right. of something that primitive. And, uh, 
So just started shooting. I, I was uh, David Albright. Uh, my brother's father-in-law is a bowyer, and he made and gave me my first traditional bow and kind of taught me how to shoot and uh, just started hunting with it. And, do you, and uh, Someone said you point the end of the arrow, right, at what you're looking at with those type of bows. Is that correct? Well, that's one style of shooting called gap shooting, which is where you use the point of the arrow or on point shooting that you use the end of the arrow as basically an aiming mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do that. I would be more in line with just what they would call instinctive shooting, which is just, it's just like throwing a baseball. You just, you focus on what you want to hit and through repetition and so consistent you're not looking through, you're not, points, there's no sighting. With the way there's no what it. now? There's no like point of reference as like a sight that you're putting on what you want to hit. You're looking at what you want to hit. That's right. Gosh, yeah, and in, in the traditional world, they would call that true instinctive shooting. Now, a lot of guys argue that nobody really truly instinctive shoots because probably, even though I, I am looking at the what I want to hit, they, you know, probably my brain is smarter than my you know, my ability to perceive what it's actually doing. And so, you know, probably my brain is calculating what it's seeing and using that as a sight window to hit what I'm trying to hit. Does that make sense? Uh, we're going to have to have like a word bank at the end of this to follow along with. As true, <laughs> What was the other one? Shared vigor? What was it? What was hybrid it? vigor. Hybrid vigor. True instinctive shooting. I'm learning all kinds of terms. I'm going to just start throwing them around in normal day-to-day. And people will be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you need to talk to, to Clay. Uh, so <laughs> if I wanted to go if I wanted to go bear hunting, right, because uh, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I just said, all right, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. Where would I start? You know, okay, so th- this is a beautiful thing about bear hunting is that there's a lot of if, – if you're – if you're willing to go with an outfitter, there's a lot of great opportunities. Do you and, know uh, any of that? Yeah, I mean, Bear Hunting Magazine is uh, – we make a living by partnering with outfitters. I mean, we ha- we represent about 60 bear outfitters, 40 to 60 at any given time, outfitters in North America, most of them in Canada. And uh, – yeah, so if, if you got Barony Magazine, you'd see a lot of ads for bear camps all over Canada. And um, and to hunt Canada, you have to have a guide. Uh, an American going to Canada, you have to have a Canadian guide. It's like, very the, well. it's like the Bahamas when you go bone fishing. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, oh, yeah, we, we I hunt with outfitters. I don't have any problem with that. I mean, my favorite way to hunt is just to hunt them, do it yourself, you know, here in Arkansas and Oklahoma or out west in Montana. I mean, you know, I, I love the do-it-yourself thing. That's what I grew up, I and mean, that's kind of what I do. Well, I but guess that's what I'm getting at. So if you had, if you wanted to do it, and obviously we want to support guides and outfitters and those types of companies, but if you wanted to do it by yourself, what's the first piece of advice you give to somebody to get started? Yeah, go out west in the spring. Uh, if you just wanted to just, you know, do it by yourself. Go out to uh, Montana or idaho in the spring we'll just narrow it down to those two states and buy an over-the-counter bear tag and go you know 
there's so many incredible resources these days that uh, I think it's the Go Hunt app. I, I, can't, I honestly can't remember if that's the name of it, but man, it'll tell you all the stats and harvest stats and open zones. And I mean, like so much information about where to hunt. And um, yeah, take a rifle. Don't take your bow. Take a rifle that you can shoot 250 yards. Go to Montana, go to Idaho. And just pick out a big section of backcountry in a unit that people have killed bears last season and uh, plan out where you want to walk, you know, pack back in two or three miles into some backcountry, stay there for three days. And if you don't kill a bear, pack back out, go to a different spot of backcountry, pack in two or three miles and stay there two or three days, kill a bear and go home. It's just that easy. There you go. It's just that easy. <laughs> that's what i would do that's what i would uh, do now when you, when you do these big excursions do you take do you load up the mules do you take them with you um yeah i, I did last year I actually just for the first time last year I, I carried my mules out west um last year i went to montana new mexico and colorado with my mules on uh two bear hunts and an elk hunt in colorado and uh yeah that's that's my if there was like a hunt that I just loved and just was what I want to do, it's I want to take my mules out west and hunt. That's what I. That's what I love. And so you and you and you you're packing them up. And what is the term where you line up, string line them together, or, or how how do you? You know, I don't. So I usually just bring one mule that I ride, and then you know somebody goes with me, so they have a mule that they okay, ride. Okay. And, and we don't – now, if you were going into the backcountry for like 10 days or even seven days, you would probably have to have a pack animal that was totally dedicated to carrying your gear. But the way that I've been successful bear hunting and the way that we elk hunted this last year was you can carry quite a bit on an animal. But you're you can right. carry three or four days' worth of provisions and just have one animal, which makes it so much less complicated. It's complicated when you've got a four mules rather than two. Um, and so I, I like keeping it simple. And then, you know, you're back in there for three or four days, and if you hadn't killed something by then, you probably need to adjust anyway and, right. you know, come back out, get more gear, go back in, or go to a different spot. You know, that's kind of been my philosophy. A lot of people do things way different than that, but that's what I do. You're calling a specific bear hunt where you're located the the sheep hunt of the south. And for people not familiar, because sheep hunting is largely regarded by western hunters as one of the most difficult, challenging, hardest to find, hardest to get close enough to, all that sort of stuff. But you're saying that this uh, particular type of bear hunt in your area is, is, is basically that version of it in the south. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad that you uh, understood that on your own. Um, um, <laughs> it's not. It doesn't always transfer if somebody's not paying attention. But yeah, we we started calling it the sheep hunt of the south to to kill a bear in the eastern deciduous forest without bait, without dogs, just to hunt them because you know it's a it's a physical feat. You're not seeing a lot of game. You, your odds of success are probably higher sheep hunting. Um, that, that was kind of the idea of it. You know, it's like 
and obviously it's not to, it's not knocking sheep hunting but you know everybody is like sheep hunting is like the pinnacle of north american hunting and i don't argue that but if you're talking about just a hard hunt come over here and try to kill one off the ground just out in the mountains you know i mean i, I think your odds are probably better killing a sheep uh you know and um so that that's the way i love to hunt them as well and uh it's just a just hunting bear like deer in the yeah. eastern Sisters forest yeah that's super interesting super interesting uh so I, not every state has a spring bear right like i was trying to that's right for west virginia only has a fall correct that's right so no, none of the southern states there's only uh I believe there are nine states that have a spring bear season, and that includes Man, uh, Maine, which technically only has spring bear season on uh, Indian on some of the Native American reservations there. So, counting Maine, I believe there are nine states, and they're all western states. No, no spring hunting in the South. Yeah, uh, there's just. I don't know what it is about. It's almost like they're like the lion of North America, a bear. It's like when you decide to take on, it's like taking on the, you know, the the face of the American frontier. If you think about it, like the bear, yeah, you know what I mean. It's it's the big it's the big predator that is still around in in our country in where we live. Um, yep. The so, icon of North American wilderness. Oh, well, you've spent some time thinking about that. That was that was too good to just come off with off the cuff right there. Oh, we say that all the time. Yeah, and I didn't come up with that. I, I don't know who did, but yeah, bears bears are iconic of it North is. American wilderness. They really are. And it's I I think going after so it's it's almost like an iconic or um, symbolic, you know, uh, transcendence into the most manly thing you could think about doing right and i think but and what my point about that is though it's a that's a slippery slope and what i'm another theme picking up and you and i talked about it before we started recording is you're you've got this wonderful tightrope balance between fearlessness which fearlessness is it's it's ugly cousin is is pride right or arrogance yeah, yeah. And, and then this this deep humility for what it is you're doing because if you get prideful in probably what you're doing is you just might get eaten by a bear but it, <laughs> you know but the, the, the thing about it it might have more of a uh, a symbolic getting eaten by but whatever it is that we're doing that we're immersing ourselves in the only way that we get somewhere that is is on the fringe of what's possible is to be fearless but if you get prideful about it you're going to eat yourself you know and pride, right. pride comes right. before the fall and and you, you and i both talked about with being a being a man is, is so wrapped up in humility where did that yeah. where do you and obviously it's probably it's, it's something you you highly value where does where does that come from where does this yeah you know i think what i'm hearing you say and, and and the way that i would describe it is you know humility is really the pathway to strength and real strength is actually foundationally deep humility and and deep humility would be in for me just to be honest, I mean, it's a it's a, a knowledge that I really don't have 
the strength inside of myself to do what I have to do, but I have to rely on something else. I have to rely on something bigger than me. And in my life, that's my faith and it's God. And it's, it's really, it's really a dynamic thing inside of my life in that. I mean, I feel like my, my steps are being, are being governed from a different realm. I mean, I, I believe that. And, uh, and so, but inside of that is I think where we find real human strength is when we realize that it's just not that we're good, strong, that we're able to do anything. But it, and, and it even goes to right out into our brother next to us is, is I am everything, you know, we talked about and all this. I mean, I'm a result of the people and the men and the women that have influenced me. Like I'm not a self-made man. I mean, you know, we, we kind of like to use that term in America, I think. Absolutely. But, man, I'm not a self-made man. Man, my dad, I mean, he has so much of what I have he gave to me. Um, so many people. I could just start naming names of people that were just really influential in certain sectors of my life. You know, so I didn't just start this. Now, I may be doing stuff a little different than they did it. But I didn't just come up with this stuff. You know, I'm a result of of somebody else's labor. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and I, I guess that's part of being vulnerable and humble, too, is to to build those relationships, because real strength comes from human relationships. Like I would not have been able to have built the career that I've built if I didn't have a, a good functional relationship with my wife. And that doesn't mean that it's always been perfect. We've had. We've had struggles. Uh, I would not have been able to do what I've done if I didn't have a close community of men in my life that aren't even hunters that uh, that I share life with. That we, you know, we 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 talk about stuff that people may not want to talk about themselves. Take a strong look in the mirror, like I heard you say earlier, Luke. And I mean, we're we're we're, we're self evaluative. We try to have, uh, we speak unfiltered truth about each other. That's a phrase we use, unfiltered truth. Sometimes you need, oftentimes you need someone that loves you to speak unfiltered truth to you, to say you are not as cool as you think you are. (laughs) And and what, what the problem is, is the way we interpret that nowadays is that means you don't, if you speak truth to me that maybe I don't like at first, it means you don't love me. Right. right. And, it's, and it couldn't be farther from the truth. Is That's right. I'm telling you this because I love you. And I understand sometimes uh, we'll call things that are just unacceptable ways of behaving towards each other tough love. And that's why that's people are, are resentful towards that term. But, man, telling somebody like, look, you are in your own way right now is one of the highest forms of love that you could do for somebody. It really is. And you've got to be vulnerable. You've got to be willing to accept that kind of critique about your life from people you trust. A lot of people have been hurt by people that probably should have never been trusted. And, and maybe it's a situation where they, you know, maybe it was a parent and, and, you know, that's just a bad deal. There are a lot of things humans have to just work through. I mean, and, and, you know, not everybody had great parents, not everybody had the best influences, but that's no excuse for their life, you know, uh, and, and 
yeah, those those human connections are so so powerful, and I and I don't want to miss that inside of you know we're sitting here talking about my life. Um, that and that's the stuff you don't see on a bear hunting video or a mule video, right. you know. Well, that's exactly <laughs> what I was about to bring up because a lot of times these things are perceived as as far away from each other on the perspec on the on the spectrum as possible as it, what I means to be human and re, and relate to people and be real with people like people think that that and then there's like well he just goes out to the mountains because he doesn't know how to interact with people and it's yeah, it, yeah. it's it's so the opposite of that it's almost like yeah. the more you go out and to these wild places to these adventures it's like the clearer um, these types, the, the, the more clear the importance of, the, of relationships and the better we get at them, it seems like. Yeah. In, in those types of places, which is, you know, if you are uh, keeping track at home, there's a lot, a lot of those moments of clarity, those Bible stories, they happen in wild places, you know? Yeah. It's, it's from Moses <laughs> to, you know, getting an understanding of what he needs to go do for millions of people that happen out in the desert to Jesus being tempted. It happens out in the, in the wilderness. And, mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. think it's so important, even if you don't want to go bear hunt, obviously that's an extreme example, but we live and John Eldridge is on a big campaign about it right now, but we live a synthetic lifestyle and there's, there's something that I just think really unnerves our psyche and our mental health when we are constantly in a 68 degree controlled room, when we're constantly in uh, synthetic and lighting and we're all those types of things are having a cost to our humanity. I really believe yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. So more than just it. Yes. Is it awesome to come away with a, with a tangible piece of your trip and you've got meat in the refrigerator, which I, I we're running out of time and I don't want to do this to you all day long, but like you, you eat this bear, you eat the bear. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. What's the best part yeah. of the bear? Man, it's just like any other thing, you know, every cut of meat that a cow would have, a bear would have, you know, um, you is know, they're, they're more like a mammal than a, than a cow. What, what, what is the, well, bear? probably the, you know, comparing it to a cow may not be the best thing, but it's a red meat. Um, depending upon what time of year you kill it, it, it can be fairly fatty. It's not, it's not, uh, marbled like, uh, like fed out beef is, you know, I mean, what we see when we get a ribeye steak is that is synthetic. That is us feeding a cow grain to the point of obesity so that there's fat in between the fibers of his muscles. Like that's not natural. A wild animal isn't going to have that right. marbling. So you take a bear steak, it's, it's going to look like a kind of a thick grained red meat that would be in between like pork and beef. Okay. And, uh, it tastes great, man. I, I it's hard, you know, I, people, you can't trust people when they tell you how something tastes because people come in with these perceptions that influence their interpretation of what they're eating. So you could tell somebody, Hey, that's bear meat and they eat it and they're grossed out for it by it before they even eat it. And so that, of course they don't like it. Um, if they didn't know it, they would eat it and be like, man, it was good. It was good meat. Uh, and you know, we use bear meat for 
everything that you could use you would use anything for you know we eat bear tacos and bear chili and bear burgers and bear meatloaf and and uh smoked bear and bear steak and uh, you would you could eat it at my table and i just don't think you would think anything about it i, I think if you were if you weren't at my house and it was probably bear and you were eating it at you know your grandma's house you'd probably just be like sweet it's good stuff and a couple hundred years ago, we were using bear fat to for lanterns and things like that. Is this true? Yeah, yeah. And so, so bears, especially when they're killed in the fall, have a lot of uh, have a lot of fat or lard. And uh, bear grease, which is rendered down fat, is uh, is is usable in a ton of different ways. Um, it can be used for cooking and substitution for anything, any kind of baking recipe that calls for shortening or oil, you know, for biscuits or for pie crusts, stuff like that. I love it for pan frying stuff, like for pan frying fish, for pan frying uh, deer steaks, squirrel meat, whatever. Um, you can use it to waterproof boots. You can use it to, uh, yeah, people use it as a fuel for oil lamps. Um a lot of guys right now are saying that it's really good for arthritis and stuff. I haven't. I'm still on the fence of, of <laughs> how much of that I believe. But there are whole companies that are built around this idea that bear oil is like some supernatural cure for like arthritis and joint pain and stuff. And so they're, I don't know, I've not used it for that. Yeah, it's funny the way you're describing some of these dishes that you can make with it. It's like... It's either one of two things. It's either the most redneck thing you could think of, or it's the most hipster thing. Like, if you had a bunch of forearm tattoos and uh, some thick rim glasses, and you had, like, a big-time restaurant in Nashville, Tennessee, and you're like, yeah, we cook <laughs> all of our fish in bear oil, people are like, oh, my gosh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. But some, yeah. Yeah. some guy out in the woods is hunting bears are like, what a, what's going on with that guy? I just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's hilarious. Exactly. Well, how do we how do we uh, enjoy how do we consume uh, some of your content? Let let the listener know. Yeah, so pretty much everything that I'm doing is branded as Bear Hunting Magazine. So that's what we are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and then just me personally. You know, I've got a personal Instagram account, Clay Newcomb. Um, personal Facebook page, Clay Newcomb. Check out bear-hunting.com you know, get a subscription of the magazine. Um, and yeah, so I'm not sure when this podcast comes out, but April 1st, uh, first light has this video and the title of the video is Nukem. And so, um, yeah, that video comes out. So check that out. Which is and, yeah, awesome. that's about it, man. We have a podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a bear hunting magazine podcast. We produce a weekly episode. I think we've produced about 75, episodes um so uh yeah man that's what we do amazing uh you got a really interesting lifestyle you got going on and the way you're viewing your time here on this earth and what you're deciding to do with it is inspiring uh it's really really interesting and it was and it was a really uh a pleasure to talk to you yeah well thank you luke i appreciate it i, I like i like uh I like what you're doing as well. So, thank you. I'm going to stop.
All right. What I mean, that was cool. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you don't like bears. I don't care if you got a problem with mules in the past. That guy is cool. All right. We're fortunate to get to talk to him. Hope you got something. Hope you get, were able to take something away from that. All right. Look, if you like what's going on, all right, share it. Help us get it going, man. All right. Thank you to Mike and the Moon Pies. Steak Night at the Prairie Rose. One of my favorite songs as of recently. Thank you to David Lessing, creator and performer of the one and only Man-Child Jingle. Thank you to Patrick Davis, our engineer, our website designer and developer, and everything that I make, and I give it to him, and he posts it, and, and the fringe pastor and co creator and owner of the Fringe Coffee House as well. He wears a lot of hats. He's got a huge head. All right. Uh, so thank you to all those people. Thank you to Scott Kellums holding the fort down up in Hamilton as we're now in West by God, Virginia. And he's getting the t-shirts ready to go with Justin up at Unsung. All right. Thank you guys. All right. Thank you for, 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 for allowing us to at least steal your attention away for a little while all right guys have a great great time great enjoy each other enjoy enjoy the nuances of your day the cool mornings the the warm afternoons the times the downtimes, the, the netflix the whatever it is you're getting through it the cups of coffee uh walks taking your dog out you know all of it it's all beautiful it's all terrible. It's all wonderful. It's all awful. Uh, soak it up, man. Soak it up. It's good, good living to be had no matter what's going on. All right. We have every right and reason and privilege to have hope and feel good. All right. So struggle well, my friends, and I will see you there. Or I will see you on another time. Goodbye. songs. sitting with band. Down at Stag Night at the Perry A covered band from ten to close And my old man sitting right there next to me They got the ball game on the big TV A beer for him, a coke for me He raised his bottle to the band and turned sand Stay night at the Paris.